Merry Christmas. Oh, come on, guys. Merry Christmas, guys. It is so good to be able to speak today. Usually, the uh, underling staff don't get to preach on Christmas Sunday. Usually, this is the, the preacher takes these all to himself, but Dave this year actually scheduled me to preach today, so I'm really excited to get to speak with you today. And honestly, I just want to say this because I don't think I've ever said this from the stage, but I love when I get to come up here and I look out and I see all these faces, and I realize that the people I'm looking at are friends. It's nice to be at a church where I look out and I don't just see a bunch of people that go to my church, but I see a lot of people who are invested in my life and I'm invested in yours. People who I know that at a moment's notice I could call you and you would jump at the opportunity to come to, to my help if I needed it, and I would jump to help you as well. And, well, I don't talk about you, Jerry. Um, but uh, you just had to talk, didn't you? Just had to. For those of you who are visiting, Jerry Phelps, he was playing acoustic guitar earlier. He talks a lot. Um, <laughs> but I'm so excited to be here today, and I'm so excited to share with you guys and, and just talk to you a little bit today. Uh, we are back in our series called Who Does God Bless? And we've already talked about the, the topics, the one who feels undeserving of God's blessing. Uh, we've talked about the one who fears God, the one who's persecuted, and the one who stays home. And... <clears throat> Today, we get, I get to talk about the topic that nobody wants to hear. Um, I get to talk about the one that, honestly, most of you aren't going to want to hear. And, and you're probably going to be uncomfortable during part of this. Uh, but those of you who have gone through this, what I'm going to be talking about today, you're going to hear it and do a lot of this today. Because the topic that I'm going to be talking about is that God blesses the ones that he corrects pan of the room. How many of you love it when you do something wrong and you're corrected? We have one. You're a good human being. <laughs> this is not something we enjoy. This is not something that, that we live for, and it's definitely not something that, that we look forward to throughout our week. And as I worked through this topic, I came to the realization that God could write a fairly lengthy book on how many times he's had to correct me in my lifetime. Uh, whether that's removing his blessing from me when I decided I knew a better way than he did. I thought about all the times that he used people in the churches I've worked in uh, to let me know when I didn't make the right choices. There's so many stories. But the one I want to tell you about today, I didn't think it was about me. I thought it was about my dad. But before we get into that, why don't we pray, and then we'll continue on this morning. If you would, just bow your heads. God, thank you. For today. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word. And God, I pray today that you're inspiring what's being said today, that uh, I don't get in the way of what you're trying to communicate. Because this isn't a topic that we find fun. We don't like to be corrected. But God, we know that that's part of the Christian walk and it's part of our faith. And so as we go through this together today, God, I pray that you speak to us that you lead us, that you guide us, and that we can see how much you love us through this. Father, we thank you for everything. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Job 5, 17 and 18 says, Blessed is the one whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. Our main thing today 
is that God allows temporary discomfort so we can have eternal joy. Back in Thanksgiving of 2006, I came to visit my parents from Wisconsin and told them I was going to be meeting with this guy, David Kibler, to talk about doing a church plant in Nicholasville. My parents were cautiously optimistic, and uh, they let me know they would help in any way they could. And in May of 2007, I announced to the congregation of First Christian Church in Kenosha, Wisconsin, that I would be stepping down as a minister there in the fall, and I would begin planting this new church with Dave. It was that week where I got this really weird phone call from my dad, <clears throat> and he said he wanted me to move in with him and my mom. Now, you have to understand, okay, when I graduated college, my dad said, okay, now, you can come visit anytime you want, but you're on your own. <laughs> that was a very polite way to say, you're not living with us now. That was my dad. That was what, that's what we always grew up knowing. As long as we were still in school, we had a place to stay, but once we finished school, it was time to get on with our careers, our adult lives, and go live on our own. But this same guy is just now telling me that he wants me to live with him and my mom, and I'm, I'm a little confused because that doesn't make any sense in my head, and he just kept going on and on and on about it. And I fought the idea for about four months. That's when I got another phone call. My dad was going to see a doctor, and he was really vague about what was going on, but I knew something wasn't right, and it could be pretty serious. And I don't remember the exact date, but I do know that it was a Tuesday when my dad called to let me know he had cancer. I know it was, I know it was a Tuesday because I got the call during staff meeting. We always had our staff meetings on Tuesday. I got the call, came back into the room, and let the rest of the staff know my dad has cancer. I need, I need to go and just kind of think through this. And that's when it dawned on me. I needed to go live with my parents. Now listen, I was 33 at the time. How many 33-year-olds, their whole life, life, so I'm going to go live with mom and dad? Hey, we got one. There's one in every crowd. doesn't matter what question I ask, right? There's always going to be the one. I didn't want, I, this, I didn't want to be that guy, okay? I didn't want to be that single 33-year-old guy who goes and lives but I knew, I knew that that's where I needed to be. They were going to need my help over the next several months uh, as dad went through his chemo and radiation treatments. I knew my mom was going to need the emotional support. I knew my dad was going to need some kind of a companion as he dealt with the impending truth of what cancer brings. And I was going to have to give up my social life. When you're single and 33, you get to do whatever you want. Suddenly that had to change. My life would consist of work, taking care of dad, and helping plan a church. Suddenly, life wasn't about me. It was about everybody else. You see, this was God correcting my course a little. I, was selfish. I won't even deny the fact I was selfish. I could afford to be. I was single. I had a career. And I got along with almost everybody I met, so it was all about me. Everything was about my wants, my needs, my desires. Now that had to change. Suddenly I had to shift gears and, and be all about my father and mother and, and taking care of them. I'd love to say I was good at it, but I wasn't. 
it just wasn't who I was at the time, and I reluctantly did what I was supposed to do, but I wasn't really happy about it, and I knew in the midst of all this, at the same time, I could be losing my father. But when God corrects us, when God tries to shift our gears a little bit, it rarely ever feels good. It rarely ever feels good. As a matter of fact, it always costs us something, and it can hurt. It can really hurt. It could be a job or the loss of friendships or the loss of a loved one, but it's a good thing. Now, I know you're probably going, oh, really, John? Great. So I could lose all this stuff, and it's good. Yeah, it is. It's good. I think of the conversion story of Paul in Acts chapter 9. And if you want to read along on the screen, it says, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any, any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. You need to understand the heart of Saul. I think Saul gets a bad rap. We often write him off as this hateful, heart of stone killer who was just out trying to kill all the Christians. And while he was trying to imprison Christians, realistically, he was desperately in love with God. He was misguided. And I would dare say this room is full of people who are desperately in love with God, but sometimes we're a little misguided. And we need correction. We need a shifting of gears. And so for, so for Saul, he had to find out the hard way. That he was doing the opposite of what God wanted, and God struck him blind. And it was blindness where he learned who he needed to become. This was God's discipline for Paul, or Saul at the time. Because God corrects those he loves. You understand that today. God corrects those he loves. If he's not correcting you, there may be something wrong with the relationship with God. Because God corrects people he loves. See, this can be difficult. This can be a difficult concept for us. Um, because in today's society, if someone disagrees with you or says you're wrong, that means they hate you. That's a society we live in today. All you got to do is get on Facebook for 25 minutes. You'll see tons of that. Get on Twitter. Get on Instagram. But it's the complete opposite with God. It's the complete opposite. It's in his correction and showing us when we're wrong that he's actually showering us in love. In Hebrews 12, 4 through 11, we read, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of his discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. 
Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters of all, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we will all have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplined us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, and that's so true, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. As parents, <clears throat> we know that we have to discipline them. We know that we have to correct their actions because the lack of discipline now turns into spoiled children later. And spoiled children turned into entitled adults. And entitled adults become people who are unhappy with a world that isn't willing to give them everything they think they deserve. They become selfish people who think their worldview is irrefutable and everyone else is uneducated. Does that sound familiar at all? This is why we read in Proverbs 12, or Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. You notice he doesn't spoils. How many of you heard the phrase, spare the rod, spoil the child? Be honest. You know that's not in the Bible, right? That is such tame language compared to what's actually there. It's spare the rod, hate the child. Because when you aren't willing to discipline your children, you don't love them. That's what the Bible's saying. It is our job as parents to discipline our children. And it's no different with God. It's no different with Him. He doesn't want a bunch of spoiled children. He wants disciplined children. And that's why He corrects us. He loves us enough to discipline us for our own good. By June of 2008, my father's cancer was in remission. He'd been given a clean bill of health and was recovering surgery. And by the time June ended, he was fully recovered. For the next six months, we finally got to get back to normal life. I had now moved to Nicholasville, and for the first time in years, I did something I swore I wouldn't do. I had a roommate. His name was Paul Ross. He's wearing an ugly Star Wars Christmas sweater right now. Um, I was able to fo start focusing more on myself again. My needs were now at the top of my list. My desires took top billing. I could once again pursue my rock star dreams and put all the value on what I wanted. I was able to slip back into my selfishness. Marriage and family, they were nowhere on my list at the time because they would just get in the way of me getting what I really wanted. But God was about to drop a bombshell on me. See, in January of 2009, my dad had his one-year appointment uh, to, to see how his, his cancer was doing. It was still in remission and everything. And honestly, I expected it to be fine. Dad seemed completely healthy. I, I, I kind of thought the appointment was just going to be a no-brainer. However... He wanted us all to be there. 
when he got the results. And we all kind of thought it was just going to be so we could all celebrate together. But we didn't get the answers we wanted. In that meeting with the doctor, he informed us all that dad's cancer had come back. And this time it was in multiple places all over his body. It was stage four. It was aggressive. And he was given six to ten months to live. In that moment, my entire world came crashing down. I just learned that my hero wasn't going to be around for Thanksgiving or Christmas that year. Or ever again. Our conversations at the halftime of Browns and Ohio State games were no more. Fishing trips, golf outings, and ball games were now a thing of the past. Even the advice that I would call him for in ministry was no longer going to happen. In my mind, I was losing so much. As I embraced my father sobbing in the parking lot of the doctor's office, I told my dad, I was like, Dad, you can't die. You're my hero. And my father, in a moment of solemn wisdom, he literally held me by the face like this. And he told me, he said, I was always going to die, whether it was by old age or from cancer. I was always going to die. Your faith shouldn't be in me. He said, your faith needs to be in your true father. You need to keep your faith in God. I'm just a human. Over the next 10 months, I spent every Friday with my dad. Every single Friday, and, and Paul can tell you this. Um, some of you who are around Catalyst can also tell you this. But I wouldn't answer phone calls or texts on Fridays. If you tried to get a hold of me, good luck. I was with my dad, and it was my time with him, and that was it. My full attention was on my father. At first, <clears throat> this was all about me. It was about me getting time my dad. I wanted to make memories. I wanted to get every moment I could with him, but I began to realize that these moments were precious, but not because I got out of them. It was because my father got. He got time with his oldest son. He got to make memories that were going to last and carry on even after he left this world, and he got so many moments with me. In November of 2009, my father went home. As Paul said in Timothy chapter 4, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only but also to all who have longed for his appearing. See, my father lived a godly life. He was in ministry for over 30 years. For me, however, it wasn't those accomplishments of 30 years that helped shape me. It, it, was, it was honestly those hard conversations that we had over the years, the ones that we had in private. It was the times where he would tell me there was a better way to handle a situation. It was the arguments. It was the punishments. And, and it was the scoldings that I hated years before that I realized had shaped me into the man that I had become. It was realizing that my father's correction was one of the greatest ways of loving me. That gave me a greater respect for my father than anyone could ever understand. 
I know one of my favorite stories about my dad is one that David Kibler tells. Um, Dave and my dad were actually on the Bluegrass Christian Camp Church Board, or Camp Board, and uh, <clears throat> there was another guy named Tom who was on the board with them, and they were talking about spending some money. And Tom really wanted to, to spend this money, and my dad just looked at him with the most serious face in the world and said, Tom, it's called not spending the money when you don't have it. I think he said something like, it's a pretty simple concept. But that was my dad. He didn't hold back. If he knew something needed to be corrected, he corrected it. And it was never out of spite or anger or hate. As a matter of fact, this guy Tom was one of my dad's best friends. And they laughed about it and they carried on and everything was fine. And it was in remembering all these times that my selfishness started to evaporate. This was where my desire for me started to dissipate and my love for others was growing. It was, it was here that I realized that life isn't all about me. See, this whole story that we've been talking about today, it's, it's not about me. The story's not even about my dad. This is all God's story. And he's living it out in every one of us. See, there's an ebb and flow. People live, people die. And it will be like that until the Lord returns. People live, people die. But it's all about how we live and how we die. That's important. And even more than that, I would go and say, I would go even further and say that, that it's, it's who we live for and who we die for that matters most. This is why God corrects us. It never feels good, but God corrects us because he loves us. And he wants to spend the rest of eternity with us. I guess you could say that God corrects us so that we can be part of his story. I'm going to go ahead and ask the band to come on up. One of my favorite moments living with my parents was waking up one day and heading downstairs to get some breakfast. It was, a, it was a Saturday, and I didn't have to wake up at 3.30 in the morning to get to Starbucks for work. And Dad was sitting in his recliner like he always was and was doing his morning devotions. And I, I didn't think much of it at the time until I turned around and came back into the room to eat breakfast with Dad. I looked at the Bible he was reading, and it was the Greek Bible. My father was reading the New Testament in the language it was written in. My dad was always full of surprises. Guys, I want to be like my dad. Not because of his love for Ohio State or the Cleveland Browns, and not because of his love for golf or his ability to make the people around him laugh. I don't want to be like my dad even because of how much he loved my mom. I want to be like my dad because of how much he loved God. As I became an adult, my father shared things with me that shaped who he was growing up. <clears throat> His struggles with alcoholism, promiscuity, and hate. He shared with me his lowest points, only to point out that God corrected him and his path every single time. God had a plan for him and wanted my dad to be part of his story. He didn't want my father to write his own book. He wanted my father to be part of a better narrative. And I'm telling you, God wants that for every one of us here today. I know there are several of you in here right now that have struggled with addiction. I corrected your path, and it wasn't fun, was it? 
It didn't feel good, but it was necessary. Some of, in you, some of you in here right now are struggling through broken marriages. And God has disciplined you right now, and it hurts. It feels like you're at your lowest point, but this is where you need to seek him out the most. Some of you are in here are like me, and you're just simply selfish. Life has to be all about you. And God just isn't allowing things to go your way right now. Things seem to be taken away, and you feel like life isn't fun anymore, but it may be time to step back and realize what's most important. When you live in a world that's broken, you need to find the guy who's holding the glue. There's only one who can mend broken hearts. There's only one that can put us back in the right direction. There's only one who can take that, what's broken, and make it whole again. It won't be easy. Nothing that's worth anything ever is. But if we're willing to accept God's correction, then we'll experience God's love like never before. And then we get to say, I've fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But not only to me, to all who have longed for his appearing. We need to live our lives with the end in mind. And stop living our lives as though we're the authors of this story. When we live our lives with the end in mind, we become a part of something bigger than ourselves. When we live with the end in mind, others take the top billing. It's only when we live with the end in mind that we fully understand that God allows temporary discomfort so we can have eternal joy. Would you guys bow your heads with me? Father, we just thank you today for your correction. We thank you for loving us so much that when you see us going off the cliff, you stop us. God, we thank you for this Christmas season where you sent the ultimate life draft in Jesus Christ to this earth. The earth was a mess, and we needed a Savior, and you sent him to be that Savior for us. God, thank you for your correction. Thank you for loving us enough to correct our paths. Father, you are incredible. We love you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.